0: Try Jupiter Organic CBD. It helps relax your mind and body for better and deeper sleep. Jupiter Organic CBD is designed to work like an off button for your daily stress. And no, you will not get high, maybe in your dreams. You can try Jupiter by going to getjupiter.com and using promo code ASMR for 10% off. That's getjupiter.com, promo code ASMR and enjoy a 10% discount. Hello everyone. Welcome to this episode of Sleep and Relax ASMR. And welcome to a brand new series, The ASMR Critic. Very, very simple premise. I'm looking at creations of the world, art, architecture, films, whatever it may be, and I'm giving you my critique of said item or collection of Items. Of course, it's all for good fun. It will include some rambles, likely, but you get to sit back, relax, and listen to my very silly, uneducated um, opinion of amazing creations made by much more talented human beings than myself. This debut episode, I will critique Jackson Pollock's artwork. Pollock, of course, is a very controversial. Artist because of how he got involved in the craft. Um, Some think he was totally useless as an artist, and yet some of his work is valued at 50 million, maybe 100 million plus in some cases. So what better, um, what better starting point for a brand new series? Now before going over Pollock's work and giving the ultimate critique on his. Uh, masterpieces or like thereof. I'm going to plug my buddies over at Helix Sleep and give you my critique of the Helix Dusk Luxe. Medium feel, either too firm, I put here too firm, it's actually too firm, too firm, not too firm, not too soft, offers top quality support and contours to your body. Isolated movement, somewhat underrated in other mattresses in this category, but If you sleep with someone else every night, this is a great quality. My movement doesn't disturb or reach my better half. So there's no more waking her up when I go up to the bathroom or I have to wake up early. Really good quality to have. Uh, What else? Cool, stylish mattress. Understandably, the mattress is covered with sheets and all that, but it's such a cool looking mattress when you do see it. And uh, it's ultra cool in the other sense, which is, I don't think I've gotten hot on this mattress once. My previous mattress, we put a foam top, or a foam topper, whatever you call it. And throughout the night, the kind of foam, it was comfortable, but it would give off a lot of heat. Like, the heat would just be trapped. And that doesn't happen with a Helix dust And you don't need a foam topper. So, I really love my Helix mattress and I think you'll love yours. So, how do you get yours? How do you get a discount? Visit helixsleep.com/relax, take their 2-minute sleep quiz to get matched with your perfect mattress, and they have a bunch of options. They will find you the right option for you. Helix is offering up to $125 off all mattress orders, so visit helixsleep.com/relax to take advantage of this $125 off offer. That's helixsleep.com slash relax, H-E-L-I-X, S-L-E-E-P.com slash R-E-L-A-X for up to $125 off your mattress. Enjoy that, guys. You're welcome. Fantastic, fantastic products over at Helix. Now, reverting back to Pollock. Here's an overview of Jackson Pollock and why he was such a polarizing art figure. Paul Jackson Pollock was an American painter and a major figure in the abstract expressionist movement. He was widely noticed for his technique of pouring or splashing liquid household paint onto a horizontal surface called the drip technique, enabling him to view and paint his canvases from all angles. It was also called action painting, since he used the force of his whole body to paint, often in a frenetic dancing style. This extreme form of abstraction divided the critics. Some praised the immediacy and fluency of the creation, while others derided the random effects. In 2016, Pollock's painting titled Number 17A was reported to have fetched more than $200 million U.S. in a private purchase. Pollock's work has been the subject of important critical debates. The critic, Robert Coates, once derided a number of Pollock's works as, quote, mere unorganized expressions of random energy, and therefore meaningless. So, again, you see that um, on one side, Pollock's work is garnering $200 million in a private sale. And on the other side, art critics are deriding his work for calling and calling it meaningless so just this this kind of crazy you know figure that on one side you have uh, people in the industry calling him useless and random and yet his work of art is selling for so much so who, who better to guide you to the art of Jackson Pollock than a no name ASMR critic I mean I'm I was made for this job. So, you know, that's the overview of Pollock. Now, let's not waste any more time. Let's start looking at some of his more famous uh, works of art, and let's start diving into them as I open up my notes here. Well, actually, I'll I'll throw Pollock a bone, um, because right now I gave him a scathing comment, or I read a scathing comment from uh, Harold Rosenberg of Art News. Clement Greenberg supported Pollock's work on formalistic grounds It fit well with Greenberg's view of art history as a progressive purification in form and elimination of historical content. He considered Pollock's work to be the best painting of its day and the culmination of the Western tradition via Cubism and Cezanne to Manet. Whatever. I'm not very up to date with art lingo. So, either way, first work of art that we're going to be exploring is number five, 1948. The painting was created on fiberboard, also known as composition board, measuring eight inches by four inches, I believe. For the paint, Pollock chose to use liquid paints. More specifically, they were synthetic resin paints, gloss enamel, but are referred to as oil paints for classification of the work. On inspection it was grey, brown, white, and yellow paint, drizzled in a way that many people still perceive as a quote dense bird's nest. Initial reactions by the work to the work by the uninitiated were underwhelming. Uh, Ted Dragon uh, reportedly said you spent money on that? Now, this work of art was sold in May 2006 for $140 million. So, what does it look like? I think describing it as a dense bird nest is quite accurate, but here's what I'm saying I see a layer of dirt. Okay, I want you to imagine Pollock grabbing a shovel and spreading dirt across the canvas, and he pats it down. It's that kind of wet, wet soil, if you will. And then he takes a few dry twigs and tumbleweed, and he um, caresses the canvas with this thick layer of dirt and soil. He places the gently very gently he gently places the dry brush and the twigs on top of the canvas he then proceeds to stomp on the canvas basically uh embedding the dry leaves and the um, vegetation it's not vegetation like the tumbleweed tumbleweed and the dry leaves and the twigs So that it basically becomes even with the dirt and the soil. That's the first layer here, or the two first layers. And then it looked as if he took mustard and ketchup and just kind of sporadically sprayed it throughout. I mean, I did say I was the ASMR critic and... I'm giving you my my synopsis first and foremost on what this looks like. Um, I don't see any discernible pattern here. I don't see any discernible rhyme or reason. Again, I'm I'm certainly not an art expert. I'm sure um, there are a few of you out there that are very well versed in art and how to really interpret this. Being a simpleton myself. Um, that's what I see, I see dirt on a canvas layered with tumbleweed and dry twigs splashed with a little bit of mustard, ketchup or yellow and red paint in a very haphazard way so my verdict is not my taste but certainly great as a conversation piece conversation, I think I said conversation yeah, it's a great conversation piece it's very hectic uh, to an observer that doesn't have deep knowledge of polished work or this type of art in general. Um, again, it looks like scrambled paint on a canvas, or it looks like it looks like a, a project that an elementary student would make. Again, showing showing I don't know representing Earth, you know, and and dirt and soil, and how you can make art out of. Seemingly mundane and, you know, not very artistic elements. Um, not my style. So, second work of art that we are critiquing is Blue Poles. It is also known as number 11, 1952. Uh, Blue Poles was purchased amid controversy by the National Gallery of Australia. In 1973, and today remains one of the gallery's major paintings. At the time of the painting's creation, Pollock preferred not to assign names to his work but rather numbers. Hence, the original title of the painting was simply Number 11 for the year 1952. In 1954, the new title, Blue Poles, was first seen at an exhibition at the Sydney Janus Gallery and reportedly originated from Pollock himself. According to art historian Dennis Phillips, the specific rather than ambiguous title limits our field of comprehension and does the painting a singular disservice. Because we look for the poles and miss much of the rest, the name is simply too distracting. End quote. The painting has become one of the most popular exhibits in the gallery for both its value as a major work of 1950s abstract expressionism and its significance in australian politics and history estimates of the painting's present value vary widely from 100 million to 350 million dollars um, so my view it's kind of a cool work of art The fact that I know it's called blue poles does make me shift my attention almost entirely on the blue poles that are lodged in the middle of the canvas. However it is more aesthetically pleasing to, again, a regular simpleton like me, and it does look more like a thoughtful expression than simply dripping paint over a canvas. Um, If I had to describe it, it looks like here the, the picture that I'm seeing here is almost a forest with the blue poles representing trees in the middle of the forest and the yellow and the orange and the the, the gray kinda of represent the chaos in the bush you know the bottom of the canvas almost looks like a mountain ridge in the distance so again certainly more palatable, in my opinion, than um, the first artwork we saw, which was number 5, 1948. And um, I agree. Maybe it's a disservice by calling it Blue Poles because your eye shifts immediately to the Blue Poles, but I rate it highly. No need to give an actual score since some. Anything but an actual art critic, but um, on a scale of bad to good, I'll give it a good. <laughs> Did I say this was all for fun? Please don't. You know, if you're a hardcore art or Jackson Pollock fan, don't uh, don't wake yourself up. Just uh, send me an angry email about how uh, uneducated I am. Third work of art we are exploring by controversial artist Jackson Pollock is titled One Number Thirty One. Date is nineteen fifty. This is one of three wall-sized paintings that Pollock realized in swift succession in the summer and autumn of nineteen fifty. In nineteen forty-seven, Pollock began laying canvas on the floor and pouring, and pouring dribbling, and flicking enamel paint onto the surface, sometimes straight from the can or with sticks and stiffened brushes. The density of interlacing liquid threads of paint is balanced and offset by puddles of muted colors and by all-over spattering. The pictorial result of this tension is a landmark in the history of abstract expressionism. so what am I seeing here I'm seeing um chaos on a canvas if I were to rename this if I were to rename one number 31 I would rename it to chaos on a canvas um it's very reminiscent of number 5 1948 where it just looks like very random and of course look I'm I'm looking at this on a computer screen and I'm sure in person it it gives you a totally different experience I don't know if it's textured I don't know what it looks like in person but what I see here is almost like a beige or gray background just kind of painting the entire canvas in that same color and then picking up a can of white paint, black paint, gray paint, pick, pick your paint colors and literally just pouring them over a canvas and calling it, um, art. So, so far this is certainly the least aesthetically pleasing work of art. Um, if art is given value based on the notion that value is derived from a group of people attributing value to it, which is to say, if I do a similar work of art, Let me put it this way. Here's what I'm getting at. If I produced this same work of art, this exact same thing, it would have exactly zero dollars worth of value. I mean, it may not be zero, but you understand what I'm getting at. Because people, because the art community, and because potential customers... Because I don't have the cachet or the, the name recognition that a guy like Pollock had, If I made this, it would be worthless. He makes it. It's considered a landmark in abstract expressionism. There are certainly experts that know a lot more about this than I do. Because my knowledge of art and art history is exactly zero. But so far this is my least, certainly the least aesthetically pleasing work of art by Pollock. And like I said, if I do this, if, if a, if a um, college art student makes this, their professor probably laughs them out of the room. Would be my honest guess. Pollock does it, and it's monumental. Not my style. Definitely not my style. But I would be very curious to get your opinion on um, one number 31 and tell me what you think about it. Up next, we have number one, 1950 also called Lavender Mist. Number one, 1950, also known as Lavender Mist, embodies the artistic breakthrough Pollock reached between 1947 and 1950. It was painted in an old barn-turned-studio next to a small house on the east end of Long Island, where Pollock lived and worked from 1945 on. The property led directly to Acabonic Creek, where eelgrass marshes and gorgeous watery light were a source of inspiration for him. Pollock's method was based on his earlier experiments ex- experiments, yes, I don't know why I stumbled over that. Pollock's method was based on his earlier experiments with dripping and splattering paint on ceramic, glass, and canvas on an easel. Now he laid a large canvas on the floor of his studio barn, nearly covering the space. Using house paint, he dripped, poured, and flung pigment from loaded brushes and sticks while walking around it. He said that was his way of being, quote, in his work, acting as a medium in the creative process. For Pollock, who admired the sand painting of the American Indians, summoning webs of color to his canvases and making them balanced, complete, and lyrical was almost an act of ritual. Like an ancient cave painter, he signed Lavender Mist in the upper left corner and at the top of the canvas with his handprints. So here's my opinion, and here's what I see Lavender Mist, it's that same kind of chaotic drip style that Pollock uses in uh, a good chunk of his very famous works, and I like it. I really do. Given what it is and understanding his style during this period, it's it's very pleasing. You know, for me, if you told me this is abstract expressionism, I would be on board with it. Because I think that this is a, a very beautiful work of art. And I, you know, art is in the eye of the beholder, obviously. And, and what I'm seeing here is a, a scene that my eyes are picking up on approximately... A third of the way through the canvas, if your eyes shift from left to right, there's this kind of very pronounced uh, deep purple, um, almost navy strip of paint that goes all the way from, or virtually all the way from the top of the canvas down to the bottom. And the kind of scene that I'm seeing here is the bottom left corner of the canvas represents this kind of Subtle, subtle, almost um, reserved elements of nature where it can seem very organized and peaceful. And then as you move, as you shift your attention to the top right of the corner, you can see this kind of chaotic mess of paint splattering all over the top right corner of the canvas. So, again, I don't know if Pollock actually intended for this general effect of this story to kind of play out in the mind of, of observers. But this is what I'm picking up on, and that's what I think is beautiful about something like abstract uh, works of art, where, you know, I think they, at their best, they should be able to provide the viewer a chance to create a story about it and to kind of interpret it in their own way. Again, whether that was the intention or not, I don't really know, but that's what I see, and and uh, and also just the choice of colors—it's it's very, very aesthetically pleasing, right? It's lavender, it's kind of lilac color, a little bit of black splattered throughout to kind of contrast against this kind of very spring colors. So, yeah, very pleasing. Probably my favorite so far, to be honest, and I think it is. Um very, very nice. Very genuinely speaking, I think it's very nice. Up next we have mural nineteen forty-three. Mural is a large painting. Although signed and dated nineteen forty three, the signature and date were not added until nineteen forty-seven, and the work was probably completed around the fall of nineteen forty-three. It was made with oil paint and an off-white water-based paint on linen and is Pollock's largest canvas measuring 2.43 by 6.04 meters, or 8 feet by 19 feet. The work was commissioned by Peggy Guggenheim for the long entrance hall of her townhouse at 155 East 61st Street in New York City. The work marks an important transitional moment in Pollock's artistic career, from his earlier works of surrealist abstraction towards action painting. Mural is a largely abstract work with a suggestion of several human figures walking, or possibly birds or letters and numbers, in broad swirls or black—excuse me—of black and white, cerulean blue, cadmium yellow, and umber, with touches of phthalo thalocyanine, green, and blue I believe that's how you say that most of the paint was applied with a brush but some appears to have been splashed on it combines influences from artists such as Thomas Hart Benton, Albert Pinkham Ryder, and Il Greco and Mexican mural artists such as David Alfaro Siqueiros the importance of mural was recognized immediately the art critic clement greenberg wrote i took one look at it and i thought now that's great art and i knew jackson was the greatest painter this country had produced so here's my opinion um mural shows a different range of pollock that the other works don't demonstrate because this is earlier in his career as opposed to what the um as opposed to what the no-name observer like myself would consider as just random drip lines, there is much thought and there's a lot more precision with creating an artistic experience in a mural. I'm seeing, I'm seeing again, those kind of human figures, maybe birds, maybe snakes almost, in my opinion. And um, there's this kind of clear divide in the middle of the canvas where on the left, it looks like one section of, of the crowd, whether it be birds or Or people or snakes or whatever You know they're kind of going one way And then on the right they're going the other way Maybe you represent some kind of Divide in society or That kind of hard line In the sand that That doesn't need to be present For it to have an actual impact On the way we function as a society Again these are um, The kind of stories that I think Abstract work Should make you think about and make you consider and allow you to to build on so and the colors are beautiful as well so um this is brilliant i mean that seriously i think it's a fantastic piece of work that looks like something worthy of coming from a renowned um world famous artist it's really brilliant Up next, we have The She-Wolf, 1943. In the early 1940s, Pollock, like many of his peers, explored primeval or mythological themes in his work. The wolf in this painting may allude to the animal that suckled the twin founders of Rome, Romulus, and Remus. In the myth of the city's birth, but She-Wolf came into existence because I had to paint it, said Pollock in 1944. In an attitude typical of of his generation, he added, quote, Any attempt on my part to say something about it, to attempt an explanation of the inexplicable, could only destroy it, end quote. The She Wolf was featured in Pollock's first solo exhibition at Art of the Century Gallery in New York in 1943. MoMA acquired the painting the following year, making it the first work by Pollock to enter a museum collection. Um, I like this work, although it's, um, it, it's, it's very different. Like I said, it's, it's, um, you, you can, you can kind of tell that there's just almost, um, very caveman like quality or, or sort of historical quality to it, that it looks like something that you would find in like a cave where an ancient civilization tries to tell you a story about their way of life and um, again, it's not so clear cut because it's not as if it's just a wolf or, you know but there's this kind of barbaric story that the painting is trying to convey you know, again it looks like like it was something done at the hand of or by the hands of someone who has clear skill but money's a canvas uh, for the sake of of, of, of creating a, a kind of more um, again um, primitive experience for the viewer and I really enjoy it I really do enjoy it um, again this is earlier in his career um, so I never said, and I never thought that Pollock was totally void of um, skill or artistic sense. I mean, I I certainly would never pretend that that was the case. But when you compare some of the first few works that we critiqued, you know they they look they look like hectic messes. I mean, they look like things that that a person trying to make art would make so Yeah. And we have one more work of art from Jackson Pollock that we will be observing. It is Shimmering Substance, 1946. With no hint of figuration beneath its richly encrusted surface, sure... Shimmering Substance is one of Pollock's first completely non-representational works. The artist squeezed the paint directly from the tube onto the canvas, then manipulated it with a palette knife or maybe a finger to create open loops that swirl to the edges. The painting is from his Sounds in the Grass series of seven canvases executed in a palette much lighter than, his, than any of his previous work. The allusion to light and nature was perhaps a response to the rural environment of East Hampton, where he had moved the previous year. Shimmering substance has a character of a sun-dappled summer day. And again, this is, as I've alluded to in a couple of the other pieces we've observed throughout this episode. It's that kind of abstract work of art that is the best kind, which is you can you can see a a story unfolding on the canvas and it's very light it's not it's not this hectic chaotic hodgepodge of of black and gray and dark colors that kind of your eyes don't even know where to look here you can clearly see that kind of outline of a golden sun and and maybe it's just supposed to represent the elements of a summer day you know the 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 heat the earth little bit of blue representing the sky and the water really cool yeah again certainly one of my I I think it's a very nice conclusion because it's kind of this this balance between maybe uh, old Pollock and sort of drip style action painting Pollock where he was starting to sort of tiptoe that line where he's creating these really abstract works of art but here Shimmering substance kind of offers you Again that story That's unfolding before your eyes So Yeah Really nice uh, Conclusion And that's it for The first episode of the ASMR Critic I'd love to Hear your opinions Of the works of art that I Critique this Episode and what would you like me to critique next? You can always reach me by sending an email to hello at sleep and relax, asmr.com. Thanks to Helix for sponsoring this episode. Remember to visit helixsleep.com slash relax for up to $125 off your mattress order. Thanks as always for listening. And take care.